This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I will say this about investing. Everything you do learn is cumulative. What I learned at 20 is useful. Welcome to another episode of Equity Mates, or should I say, all right, folks, you're stepping into the financial ring with Equity Mates. Whether you're a jabroni just starting out or you've got the people's eyebrow raised like me, we're here to lay the smackdown on your financial goals. I'm here, as always, with my buddy, Ren. My name is... Uh, so, Bryce, you are a fighter of some description. You are Hulk Hogan. No. Uh, <laughs> no. You are Floyd Mayweather. No. You are Australian superstar Alex Volkanovsky. No, <laughs> I, I am know. The Rock. Yeah, well, you know, I was in the right ballpark with wrestling. You were, you were. Yeah. Anyway, we, um, we're getting towards the end of the year and Jet, Chat GPT might uh, take a hiatus. I feel in like we might be losing momentum <laughs> on it. So I guess your summer holiday challenge is to come up with a new introduction that will get us through the year. Sounds great. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, big episode today, Ren. We've got uh, your session, your final session with Andrew Page for Mentored. You have a big call coming up. (laughs) Love that. But as always, let's kick things off. There's plenty happening in news and markets. Yeah. So let's start at the top. Big week for you as well. Yes. You got a haircut and you're moving house. <laughs> you're obsessed with the haircut. <laughs> it's different. It's like, it's more, um, maybe you washed it as well. That, I think that's what less, I shampoo. Less gel than normal. Less, yeah, less shit in it. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, if that's not a sell for people to watch on YouTube to see Bryce's fancy new haircut, then I don't know what is. But you also are moving house. I am uh, moving house. This is the first time I've actually seen you in person this week mm-hmm. because you... Settled. Settled on um, Tuesday. Yep. And you uh, were cleaning and moving and packing, all the fun stuff. Settled Tuesday, got the keys Tuesday afternoon, went around, started unpacking a few things. Harriet, my wife, got the gurney out. She couldn't couldn't wait to start high-pressure hosing things. Yeah, nice. <laughs> Met one of my neighbours. We've already been invited to a neighbourhood Christmas party, 3pm on Sunday. That's wholesome. <laughs> yeah, very wholesome. And yeah, then Wednesday was spent with the removalists and today will be spent actually unpacking and blah, blah, blah. So it's an exciting time. Nice. Yeah. That is good. Loving it. So when's the first mortgage payment? Yeah, that's a good thing. Uh, good question. I thought that it was at the same time that you do the settlement, like mm. on, on the day, the first. But in our net banking, there's nothing that indicates a mortgage payment's coming out. So... Now, we're, now, now, we're, now we're just waiting okay. to be stung. Maybe it's on the first of the month because I actually have no idea why. There you I go. assume that, but we do need to follow up with our with our mortgage broker to find out when that would be. But I, I thought it was at, at settlement, but it wasn't. There you go. Mm. Well, uh, let's get into the news because speaking of housing, CoreLogic have come out with their latest data for, uh, I guess, November. Even though we're in November, yeah. Well, I guess. They've come out with an emergency announcement midway through November because house prices have reached record highs. So to give people some context, now this is the national average, um, but they reached a record high in April 2022. Then in 2022, we saw interest rates rise and um, the national home value fell, value index fell 7.5%. It bottomed out in January 2023 and since then the home value index has risen 8.1% and according to CoreLogic, it reached a new record high on Wednesday the 22nd of November 2023. Mm. So your investment's already paying off price. Yeah, but it feels like it's – it feels – so the rate of growth is slowing. It's definitely – we know it's a supply-driven market at the moment. I think auction rates are starting to fall like – 
it, it feels like it's getting to that point now where interest rates are at a point, I guess, where it's it's starting to take effect in that it's just largely unaffordable now. Mm. And so, and I guess that's the whole point of raising interest rates is to have a bit of demand destruction. But it feels like from here, it would be crazy if, I would be blown away if you if we see another year, what we've just experienced. Yeah. It's yeah. like, what is going on? Well, they say 12 to 18 months for the effect of interest rates to be felt across the economy. Interest rates started rising in May 2022. Yeah. And we had 12 rate rises between in 13 months between May 2022 and June 2023. So, you know, that's going to start flowing through the economy. Well, it has started. And, yeah, it, as you said, it's a supply and demand game. But I feel like I'm seeing more for sale signs. Well, the, that's it, a, it, well the in, there's an increase in stressed houses going up for sale. Yeah. Um, people selling because they can't afford to pay their mortgages. But... Yeah, it's also quite um, localised. Like what you just went through is the national, but I'm pretty sure I read this morning that Melbourne house prices haven't actually recovered yeah. fully since um, Well, since the... the, the Ho- Hobart is down 12% from its peak. Oh, there you go. Yeah, yeah. so um, yeah, it's a very different market in different parts of Australia. So when we were reading about this story and prepping for this episode, there, you know, obviously it's a supply and demand challenge and it's not just house prices that are going up, rents are going up as well, which is reflective of supply and demand dynamics. And part of the supply and demand is more people coming to Australia. Part of it is also there was a big shift during COVID for people wanting an extra bedroom to set up as a study. And um, I think it was something like, this is off the top of my head, but it was something like the average house went from like, 2.3 2.3 people to 2.1 or something and now you know they're talking about unlocking supply in all these novel ways they're talking about incentives to build more granny flats that then can be rented out separately they're talking about incentives to change resident uh, sorry uh, office buildings to residential to uh, you know, unlock more supply that way here's a stat that will uh inflame the generational divide and get people riled up um in the last census the number of people aged 65 to 69 years old with more than three spare bedrooms hit almost 25%. Wow. So that's where the supply is. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah. Anyway. No surprises. Um, Just to close out the thought on the rent uh, going up, we've spoken about on the show that post me moving out of my current rental, they bumped the price 200 bucks a week to $950. Yeah. Um, they couldn't find anyone at that price to actually rent. Oh, it, rent even it though out. they were so confident yeah, that they yeah, could, yeah, no yeah. one came. So it's it's it, and this is what I guess what happens. They... It now becomes literally unaffordable that people are just like we can't, yeah, we can't pay that. Yeah, and so um, they ended up renting it out at eight fifty. So still, yeah, okay. still um, up from where they were, but. It was just interesting to see that zero people at nine fifty. Yeah, okay. A few interested parties at eight fifty. Even then, the agents were like, "People just can't afford this." Yeah, like you're in a you're in a one bed. You like you're not a family that probably has more disposable income or a higher discretionary. So yeah, interesting to see. Now, Bryce, you have been away for this week. You've been busy moving and packing and probably haven't been paying attention to the news. Always paying attention to the so, news for my, so, for my job, Ren. So <laughs> let me ask you, uh, have you followed the OpenAI saga? Sam Altman and yeah. his swings and roundabouts of being CEO. Yeah. well, <laughs> I, I've been loosely following it, yeah. I, I know that he was out and now he's back. I was going to say, if you checked out on Friday afternoon and we're just checking back in today, uh, nothing's changed. Nice. Oh, OpenAI's so, uh, Open board had a bit of a shake-up. Okay. <laughs> Let's keep moving. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> OpenAI, the maker of ChatGPT and um, Dali. Dali less celebrated than ChatGPT. What I... Who? He lost his position as uh, CEO. Um, there were a few board shake-ups as well. Pressure from shareholders. Also Microsoft to get him back in. A lot of the team who were working at OpenAI as well, said that they would quit if he wasn't reinstated as CEO. I haven't gone deep enough to actually understand what he did. Uh, well, uh, Sasha and I did an episode on the dive unpacking it all. So Perfect. I'll make sure I listen I'm to I'm sure that. that's top of your listening. <laughs> but um, no one knows. I have two theories. Oh, okay, so it's not public. Uh, no. Well, you can sort of glean some level of what happened behind the scenes. 
But we'll save that as a tease. Go and listen to the dive episode if you want my two theories on what happened. Give me a high level. No. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> my two theories were one, it was around the uh, priorities and pace of AI development. And then secondly, it was around... He wanted to go faster or the other way? I'll have to listen. Yeah. Uh, and then the second was around he was... But he has potentially been working on a separate business. Side hustle. Side hustle. AI side hustles. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That That's... I mean... That's a bit dumb from him, to be honest. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, like plenty of CEOs and founders lead multiple businesses. Mm. Elon, Tesla, yeah, SpaceX, yeah, yeah. Um, Jack Dorsey, Twitter, Block. But uh, not like, would this have been directly competing, I guess? is. No, well, uh, no, but you still need like the first company to sign off on the, there's no conflicts and stuff like yeah. that. Um, anyway, go, go and listen to that. But the reason I want to talk about it here is because if you've been living under a rock for five days, you wake up, you open your phone, nothing's changed. And it's just such a reminder that being up to date with the news can often be a de- detriment to long-term investing performance. Because the news is has a bias for sensationalism and it has a bias for action because it has a bias for clicks. Like it, it, it wants you to think things are happening so you engage with it. And obviously something happened. This is, I think, the biggest business story of the year because it's the biggest company of the year and the biggest product of the year and um, a shake-up right at the top. But, um, you know, all of these people on sort of Monday and Tuesday were talking about how this is an absolute coup for Microsoft. Side note, can we just say Microsoft has invested $13 billion in OpenAI, but they have so much money that people just think that that 13 billion is like a cost Nothing. of doing business. It's yeah. a write-off. Yeah. If we can have, if they can hire the open AI team, yeah. they can rebuild it and yeah. just write the 13 billion off. Yeah. I also would have loved to have seen what happened if Microsoft did poach the full open AI team, all 770 employees. What happens to ChatGPT and Dali? Like that has to be a fire sale then. You would think so. Yeah. Or you hire a whole new team to work on it, but they have no experience have on no build- idea how to do yeah. it. Anyway. Yeah. But all these people who were investing in Microsoft and thinking that Microsoft were going to be the biggest winner, then a couple of days later, Sam Altman's gone and everything's back to normal. It's just a reminder that like you can get swept up in the Yeah, story well, if today. you'd traded on Microsoft based on this or made AI assumptions, you could have come pretty unstuck. Um, Cara Fisher actually did an interesting interview with Satya Nadella two or three days ago uh, in the midst of this. Oh, yeah. So it was good to get his view on things. What did he say? He was the same. He's like, nothing's really changed. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, sure, it's annoying. And I wish he'd t- given a bit more transparency, but like, not implying, but like, to your point, we've got some cash. We'll just, yeah, we'll be right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, Bryce, let's uh, take a quick break here. I need to take a deep breath and get revved up because after <laughs> the break, we are going to introduce a new segment, oh. Ren's Big Core. Pretty sure I've heard a, this segment before, so I don't know how new it is. But anyway, let's do it. Let's take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hey, equity mates, if you haven't heard already, we've written a book called Don't Stress, Just Invest, which is four easy steps to show you how you can access the power of the stock market. And here's a tip. It is exactly how Ren and I invest in our core portfolio. That's right. You can pick up Don't Stress, Just Invest wherever books are sold. It makes the perfect gift for whoever in your life should get started investing. All right, Ren, you've been winding up. You've been doing star jumps out out the side of the studio. Yeah, <laughs> you've stretching. been doing voice, voice warm-ups. Uh, we've got here at the top segment number two, Ren's Big Call. Yes. I haven't read through it. Now, this is such a big segment that I think it deserves its own sting, so let's sting it. He's read the headlines and he's prepared to make a statement. It's not small. It's not moderate. It's big. This is Ren's Big Call. All right, Bryce, here we go. Ren's big call. Now, you might be thinking there's a lot of good news around inflation. The US... I don't. Oh. I'll just put that out there. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, the US uh, reported 12 months to October inflation at 3.2%. That's That's almost in the target band. Mm -hmm. That's down from 3.7% one month earlier. 12 months to September, 3.7%. One month later, 3.2%. J-Powell. Good on him. Nice. <laughs> uh, the UK, great news. Um, 12 months to September, 
inflation was 6.7%. 12 months to October, inflation was down to 4.6%. Great news. While I was on uh, my property buying journey, at least two that I can remember, probably more real estate agents and people involved in uh, the property buying journey, told me that we're going to see interest rates cut in the next few months. Great news. <laughs> next few months? Yeah. Well, I am here to tell you, That's here is bad. my big call. That's bad. No interest rate cuts in 2024 in Australia. Okay. It's not going to happen. Just it's, it's just not. <laughs> <laughs> and here's... So the reason for optimism is the view is that a lot of inflation is being imported, that it's coming from overseas. War in uh, Ukraine is pushing up the price of food. War in uh, Ukraine and then war in the Middle East is pushing up the price of oil. Um, But also the Aussie dollar has been weak. So when we import goods and services from overseas, we're paying more because our dollar is worth less. So that's pushing up the price of goods and services as well. So there's been this view in the economy that we're importing inflation and that if we just get that under control, housing aside, we'll get a lot of those back under control. If inflation is coming down overseas in the US and the UK, you would think a lot of the drivers of global inflation are coming down and that we're going to see those numbers reflected in Australia as well. That's kind of the view that you're getting from a lot of people, especially a lot of real estate agents. Yeah. (laughs) I'm here to tell you that inflation is more entrenched in Australia than we think and that's the reason we're not going to see interest rates fall anytime soon. So the Economist publish a inflation entrenchment index where they give countries a score out of 100 on how entrenched inflation is in the economy. Do you want to know which country came in at number one? No prizes for guessing. Australia came in with a score of 78 out of 100. Next highest was Britain, number two, 68 out of 100. So we are leading the pack. For context, the United States comes in at number four, 58 out of 100. And the idea that we have this inflation entrenched domestically isn't just The Economist. Uh, Michelle Bullock, the new RBA governor, gave a speech last week where she said the same thing. Three quotes that stood out to me that reflect this view that it's pretty entrenched domestically and we're not going to see interest rates cut anytime soon. Uh, She said, the remaining inflation challenge we are dealing with is increasingly homegrown and demand-driven. Secondly, she said, if we look across the CPI basket, around two-thirds of items have inflation running above 3%, indeed often a long way above that number. And then finally, she said, hairdressers and dentists, dining out, sporting and other recreational activities, the prices of all these services are rising strongly. Her thesis is that the Australian economy is actually holding up pretty well and in particular the Australian consumer is holding up pretty well and we're still spending a lot of money at, um, you know, like domestic locations like hairdressers and dentists and stuff like that but they're at capacity and so they can't add capacity, they can't add, you know, more people to deliver those services or they can't get more goods in the door so they're raising prices. Mm. I can't remember what podcast it was, but um, it was an Australian one and they were talking about Michelle Bullock and then another woman who I thought we should try and get on the show, the name escapes me, but she's head of like the Productivity Commission or something like that and she did a full... Danielle Wood? Yes. Yeah, if you look at it in a breakdown of age demographics, our age demographic and and younger have really pulled back Mm. on spending, not by choice i guess but because the demand the pressures the interest rate rises are affecting us far more and a lot of this spending is actually coming from the large portion of of australia who are are getting less impacted by interest rates i.e they own their own home they have a shitload of savings yeah the older generation yeah yeah this is a flame the uh the fires of intergenerational yeah and that's not to yeah and but that's what it that's exactly what it's doing yeah uh combank uh released data last week that said something very similar what they're seeing in their customer accounts is young people are getting absolutely squeezed are cutting back on you know essentials like food and stuff whereas their older cohort of customers are actually increasing their spending. Mm. Well, the the simple maths behind that is you're a, a you know later on in life and you have a chunk of cash sitting in your 
bank account that's gone from 0.1% to 5, 5%, yeah. You've got cash to spend. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, so are we saying that um, if we see another interest rate rise, it's because old people? Yes. <laughs> That's my big call. <laughs> okay. <laughs> nice. We're both making big calls. Yeah. yeah so no. I think, I, I hope I'm wrong. I hope I'm wrong because we're all feeling the pinch. And, you know, what happens if rates keep rising is it's not just people with mortgages that start feeling the pinch, but businesses will start feeling the pinch. Like, you keep raising rates indefinitely, you hit a recession. You break the back of demand. And that is a euphemism for you price people out of the economy and businesses out of the economy. Um, Well, interesting, it doesn't look like it's going to go that way overseas. They've managed to be able to get it back to a, a decent level without hitting recession, at least in the US. Yeah. Um... And I think for me, there's a, there's a world where we maybe see one more rate rise. We, maybe we don't see any more rate rises and maybe inflation comes down. But the idea of a rate cut, mm. it's not going to happen. See, I go the other way. I reckon, the hundred will, I reckon we'll have one in February, hands down. A cut? No, a rise. Okay. Yeah. Like the way I read her commentary is like, we've still got a fair bit of work to do. Yeah. And if it's driven by what we're doing here in Australia then we either have to get governments to stop spending so much on infrastructure projects and various bits and pieces. Which they have. I think there was the... Pulled, they pulled, pulled like, like seven billion. Oh, or something. Yeah, 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 yeah. But like that's going to take a t- That's going to take a while. Well, not a while, but like it's not going to be an overnight like December inflation is going to be down. Yeah. You, you know what the really politically charged conversation is going to be around next year? St- uh, stage three tax cuts. Yeah, yeah. Like th- because... Both sides of politics have said they're going to support them, basically, the two major parties. But, you know, if inflation remains stubbornly high, the idea of... Yeah, giving more people dis- disposable income. Yeah, yeah, and they're legislated. So unless they pull them back, which is harder than... Yeah, anyway, yeah. it's it's going to be a big conversation yeah. next year. Yeah. But you have to get inflation under control. Definitely. Like, definitely. I was listening to a yeah. podcast and they were saying uh, 200, someone who earns $200,000 a year with these stage three tax cuts will get another $9,000 in their pocket. The stage three favour the top end as well, don't they? Yeah, it's, it's basically yeah. only for the top end. Yeah. Um, it's only for like the top bracket because stage one and stage two were lower like, tax brackets. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So an extra $9,000 in their pocket on a $200,000 wage is an extra 4.5% in their pocket. But if inflation remains stubbornly high, like inflation in Australia was what? It's like 5.5%, 5.4%. You can't have inflation remain this high yeah. because it erodes even the value of the extra money you're getting in your pocket. Like, unfortunately, we have to get inflation yeah. under control. Um, and unfortunately, if the government aren't going to take heat out of the economy fiscally, Michelle Bullock is kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place. Well, to put some numbers to your prediction, Ren, so 42 economists were surveyed by the AFR. They originally suggested the median, um, the median response for when to expect the first rate cut is August 2024. That is, though, uh, from the previous expectation which was February 2024. Crazy. <laughs> Crazy. Yeah. So obviously economists are also pushing out their forecasts, but far out. Do they ever get it right? I mean, <laughs> no. do we ever get it right? Well, I mean, it's not but our that's, job to try. That's why it's it. Ren's big call. It's not <laughs> Ren's safe call. <laughs> well, it's more just like, it's yeah, it's not yeah, it's not our job to try and yeah. predict when rates are going to get cut. Yeah, but I just think, you know, like the, the fact that and there was obviously people had an incentive to tell me that rates were going to get cut soon because they wanted me to buy, uh, be be happy to spend more on uh, a, a place. But um, yeah, I just think like let's be clear-eyed and realistic and hope for better, but be realistic about where we are. Mm. Even if they get back to that two to three percent band, that does doesn't mean then it's just like all right now we're cutting. Yeah, we're not cutting. Yeah, no, that, that's like cu- we, yeah, we need then to we're sustain neutral. at this yeah, point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then things we've are we've got yeah. where we need to be. Yeah, let's sizzle. And if we don't hit a recession, or we don't like, if things just keep plugging away, mm. there's n- there's no yeah. If I was the RBA, gov- yeah, and like you want to have some dry powder, like dry powder in terms of interest rate, it's too too cut. Um, so yeah, I think anyway, that's the call. Love it. Let's see where it goes. What do well, you reckon? It, is this, does this become a regular segment? <laughs> it could well be. It <laughs> makes me excited actually to close out our bold predictions for 2023, which we will have coming up in a few episodes time. 
because I know that we both spoke about interest rates at the start of the year. So it'll be interesting to under- or to see what we thought. Well, let's, let's save that for our Bold Predictions episode, which is right at the end of the year, mid-December is when we'll release yeah, that. it's coming up pretty hot. But let's take a break now because on the other side, I uh, sat down with Andrew Page, who's been my mentor this year. He's been helping me, you know, investing is a lifelong journey and he's been helping me take steps on that journey. You've been working with your own mentor, Henry Jennings. Uh, so we'll get to that after this. Welcome back to Equity Mates. Now, before we jump into your session with Andrew Page Ren, your mentor to close out 2023, we do want to announce that the Equity Mates Awards for 2023 are now live and we're looking for your votes. The third annual the Equity third Mates Awards. Annual, yes. Yeah. Now we have four awards this year. We have Guest of the Year, Platform of the Year, Theme of the Year and Company of the Year. Uh, all information is available in the show notes as well as the page for you to, to vote. It's your opportunity for to celebrate the people, the products and the platforms that contributed to your investing journey throughout 2023. We've had some incredible experts on the show. Andrew Page, one of them, he's up for a an award up for a gong up for a gong yes henry jennings we've had so many too many to name but we would love for you to go on and share your thoughts and uh and then let's see who comes out on top yeah now before we get stuck into my session with andrew uh, i just want to shout out crypto curious uh the crypto podcast in the equity mates network um they had one of the biggest names in crypto uh michael saylor joined their podcast i'm about to speak to andrew who was once the biggest anti-Bitcoin person going around and that saying there's none as zealous as the recently converted really applies to Andrew. He's now a big Bitcoin bull and we speak about it briefly in this chat but if people are thinking more about crypto now that it seems to be rebounding a little bit um, despite the you know, Sam Bankman-Fried going to jail and CZ um, yeah. pleading guilty. I haven't even spoken about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, well, Crypto curious are all over it. Great. So if you want to hear about the founder and CEO of Binance, uh, the biggest crypto exchange in the world, pleading guilty to mo- well, multiple counts of fraud yeah. and a whole bunch of stuff, uh, go and listen to Crypto Curious. And if you want to hear Michael Saylor get interviewed, go over to Crypto Curious. With that said, uh, let's get back to stock market investing and let's pick up my conversation with Andrew Page. Andrew, you've uh, you've been my mentor this year, helping me. I guess, uh, take the next steps on that lifelong journey of investing. So we started, I guess, talking about your investing philosophy and uh, then worked into how you find stocks, how you filter your universe. Then we finished by talking about some valuation stuff. Uh, So I feel like we've covered a lot, Um, spoken about a lot of individual companies. Uh, For people who are new to the podcast, why don't we just quickly uh, give them an overview of some of the things that we've spoken about this year. Maybe let's start with how you approach investing and the opportunities that you're looking for. 
I want something that's going to be worth more in the future than it is now. I want to buy it at a one price. And I want to sell it at a higher price. And I want that difference to be as great as, as is possible. You've got to have an understanding of, of what is it that I'm going to buy and why can I rationally expect that to be worth more in the future? There's a whole bunch of things that I think I would like to own, but the price at which I'm prepared to own it can be very difficult. But it's those two elements that you're trying to bring together. I want to own something that's of good quality, that has durability. And importantly, I just want to pay a price that is less than what it, you could say is it is really worth. Mm. And that's how you can get into things like discounted cash flow and the rest of it. But that, that, that in, in a nutshell is, is what it is. Well, we'll get to valuation in a sec. But from that investment philosophy, you really focus on Aussie small caps. And there's a couple of thousand stocks that don't get a lot of media or analyst attention, but you spend your days analyzing. So how are you filtering that universe and identifying the opportunities that could be interesting and deserve further research? The reason why I think small cups are more attractive is because there's less competition. I'm not up against the PhDs in Martin Place, right? With with a team of 10 analysts, it's 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 me and a few punters on hot copper. So you 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 you've got a you've got a greater opportunity I think to to compete effectively. And also by definition, the smaller companies have more growth potential. BHP was a small company at, at one stage. Commonwealth Bank was a small company at one stage. That's why I, I sort of focus there. The trickier thing, this is a generalization, it's not always true, but as an earlier stage business, you don't necessarily have a history of really attractive fundamentals that you can point to, to make the case for quality. Let's look at the classic, you know, CSL, right? Great Australian success story, brilliant business, incredible wealth creator for its investors over decades. You can look at that and go, look at the margins, look at the return on equity, look at the growth in revenue and the growth in profits. You know, clearly this is an economic powerhouse. If you look at a, a small business that's only been around for five years, they may not have even made a profit yet. They may have only just commercialized their product or their service recently. It's more difficult to sort of rely purely on the numbers because the numbers may not be there. And therefore you are reliant more on qualitative factors. You can't just scan for those easily. So the, the boring and frustrating answer to your question is you have to read a lot and, and not just on the company that you may be scrutinizing, but just in terms of how business models work. What are the characteristics of certain industries? You know, just all of this general foundational kind of stuff that give me, I guess, the mental models to know what to look for. I'm, try I'm trying to pattern, it's pattern recognition here. When you look at all of the great companies, what did they look like at an earlier stage? Maybe I can look for those kinds of characteristics in other companies and find the winners of tomorrow. So that's, that's how you do it. And then it is also something you've got to go into knowing that no matter how good you are at this, it is very much hit and miss. Like mm. I think we, we chatted before of like Peter Lynch famously said, if you're good at investing, you're right six times out of 10. And that's cool. But I mean, gosh, if you can get six out of 10 right and you're looking at multi-bagger type potential returns, that's, that is very adequate in, indeed. But that's how I do it. I read a lot. Yeah. Everyone wants the, like there, there's such a, a view that like there's a great resource out there that will narrow it down and, and filter the universe and give me what I need. But it's just, you just got to put the work in, unfortunately. Think about it for half a second. If you or I came up with this thing that we could just a bit of software or whatever, would we sell it or would we use it? Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. yeah. And, um, and even then, even just by the, the process of executing that strategy, would would kind of um, un, it would it would get rid of the opportunity. You know, if we see that oh, we, we, if we're able to identify value before anyone else, the very act of buying it will close that gap. Yeah. And as sooner or later it becomes known, other people figure it out, and it gets arbitraged away. So there is no secret. They can't be. And if there is one, it'll soon be arbitraged away. Mm. Now, the final thing we worked on uh, this year was your back of the envelope valuation method, which uh, I think was quite useful. I, it's a really common question we get from people who are trying to, I guess, invest in individual stocks is what's the best way to value a company. And I think your shorthand method is a good sort of shortcut to get a, 
approximation. So do you want to just give a summary of it for people who may not have heard it before? And, and I'll, I'll start by saying that's the best you can hope for is an approximation. The saying is what? It's better to be generally right than specifically wrong? Is that... That's yeah, the, I love yeah, that. Yeah. yeah, if I ever got a tattoo, that'd be that'd be one of the front runners, right? <laughs> Let's start call. that movement. <laughs> <laughs> the trouble with really smart people is they have very complex models, not recognizing the fact that it's a it's a case of garbage in, garbage out, and just the false specificity that comes with it. So, you're aiming to be generally right here, and 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 the way that I do it is just. And I didn't invent this way, by the way. Um, it, it's just a it's just a rearrangement of the PE ratio. It's price divided by earnings over the market cap divided by the net profit, or the share price divided by the earnings per share, and it gives you some kind of sense of value. Well, you can re rearrange that to sort of say, well, that means that the share price is a function of the PE times the earnings per share. So if you remember your basic mass, I'm just rearranging the, the equation there. Which means if I want an estimate of the price in the future, I need to have an estimate of what the earnings per share is or will be and what the PE will be. So I'm, still, I'm still left with having to make a guess on the future here. No matter what I do, I'm making a guess here. I could call it a forecast or something more sophisticated. I'm making a guess. And I like this because I only have to guess at two things. And again, I'm aiming for generally right here. So what's the earnings per share going to be? Well, you can sort of start, well, where are we at now? Maybe I think it can grow at 10% per year and I'll go out five years. So that's nice and easy. Or whatever you, whatever you think may be appropriate there. And then you can just say, well, a company that grows at about 10% per year, Jesus, you know, in an average market, gosh, that, that's got to go for at least 15, maybe 20 times earnings, right? That, that's a typical multiple. It's not an ambitious multiple. It can certainly get much higher than that. It can get lower than that. But I'm not, I don't want to be reliant on the market being in a great mood for this valuation to make sense. So I always err on trying my best. My, my main focus here is what's the earnings per share going to be and then choose a, a low bar, a low hurdle rate for the PE. And I multiply the numbers together. So earnings per share in five years' time is a dollar. I think the, the PE will be 15. Ergo, the share price in five years' time will be $15. In fact, will be is, is absolutely the right phrase to use there because if those two numbers or those two forecasts are accurate, definitionally, that's what the share price will be, right? And then, and then the last step is, well, if I want, let's ignore dividends, let's say I want a 10% annual return, well, I need to divide that $15 by 10% each year or, or more accurately, 1.1. So I 15 divided by 1.1, divided by 1.1, divided by, I don't know, do it five times and if, I buy the shares today at that price or better. And if my forecasts are correct, I will get at least a 10% return. And, and it's just a nice, easy, simple way of, of going about it. Yeah. And the reason that I like that is because the, the analytical work in if you're doing a full you know, three-stage DCF or that back of the envelope valuation you're doing, the analytical work is still in understanding the company, figuring out what its prospects are and trying to forecast its returns. Yes. The, dif the difference is your, uh, with your back of the envelope method, you're just making an approximation of where you think the share, share price will be. Whereas with, with the three-stage DCF, once you've done the work of understanding the company, then it's all about what's an appropriate discount rate and you know terminal growth rate and all of that stuff. And it's just... Um, there's a lot more financial complexity that probably doesn't add a lot to the overall understanding of the company or the investment opportunity. The, the value of a DCF is in forcing you to think through various assumptions and in understanding the mechanics of the business. Is this a retailer which generally has pretty low margins or is this a SaaS business that can have really great margins? I need to think through these things and, and, and I think that there's value there. You're still thinking through that in getting your earnings per share number. Oh, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yes. I mean, you, 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 revenue and margin will affect earnings per share. 100%. 100%. Yeah. 100%. The other thing I would really stress and we talked about it was you people feel as though they have to land on a value. Um, well, you don't. You can test Test like a variety of assumptions. Yeah. Here's my, my best guess at earnings per share and I think the market will be in a really great mood and just combine all of these and you'll get this spread of different futures and they'll all be guesses. None of them will be exactly right. But if the current share price sits in a very, the lower end of that spectrum, you know the odds are in your favor. Whereas if it's at the top, it's kind of like, well, I can still make a good return on this, 
but everything has to go right. Mm. And I am going into my investment eyes wide open here like this. And, and, and as time passes, I can kind of say, you know, it is the investment thesis working out as I had envisaged it. If not, it might be time to reformulate. Yeah. So it's been it's been a great year and I feel like I've learned a lot about the stock market and investment opportunities from you and you've been very good at biting your tongue because I know there's another investment opportunity that you've wanted to speak about. Given this is the last time we'll be speaking uh, for 2023, although we do have you lined up to jump on for a summer series episode in early 2024. Um, Looking forward to that. So uh, if people want more of uh, Andrew, uh, listen to the summer series. I believe you're going to be speaking about Drop Suite. Yeah, very interesting company. We'll save that tease and people can listen to the episode. But uh, uh, given this is the last time we'll be speaking this year, I know there's a an asset class that you have bitten your tongue about, but I'm sure you want to speak about. Uh, we went to the Sewn Hearts and Minds conference uh, last week and Kathy Wood pitched and she pitched her Bitcoin uh, base case and bull case. Right now it's 37,000 US dollars a Bitcoin. She thinks by 2030, her base case is $650,000 a Bitcoin and her bull case is $1.5 million a Bitcoin. So my question to you, Andrew, is are you more or less bullish than Kathy Wood? <laughs> I was going to say, like, where, where is this question going? Because there is no way on God's green earth I am answering this in a couple <laughs> of minutes if it's about Bitcoin, right? And I also want to say, as someone who is, you know, tries to pride themselves on being a rational, conservative investor, I, 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 I am hyper aware of how stupid I look by advocating magic internet money. And, and, I, and, and, and as I've said to you before, the very first time we ever did a podcast together, all I did was just laugh at how stupid Bitcoin was, right? So I get it. I get it. Um, but to answer your question and without going too far down the rabbit hole, yeah, I think that's actually a very reasonable range. It's a big range. Here's the thing with, with Bitcoin valuation. So like, gosh, we, we have and could speak about valuating stocks forever, right? Money? How do you value money? I mean, gosh, that that is like next level complicated like other than i guess to say that what is different with something that doesn't produce a cash flow and something whose whose utility is in a, a monetary good is that it has this it's almost what you might economists call it a veblen good it's a, an unusual characteristic where the further the price goes up the more value it has mm. that's not true of shares csl is not worth $10 million per share. It, I mean, it doesn't make any sense. You get a, you get a value of a company that's worth more than the global economy. It doesn't, doesn't make any sense. With Bitcoin, at the moment, if I'm China trading with the US, it's not big enough to trade. Like it just, it just can't carry the weight. It's like $600 billion in market cap. If you take all the 21 million coins that'll ever be produced, in times about the share, the, the unit price, you know, it, it's just, it's not big enough. It can't, there's not enough volume or liquidity there to do that. But at a million dollars a coin, you can do that. So, so Kathy is right in the sense that, and it's going to be purely a function of adoption. So the more people that use it, there'd be very positive feedback loops here and network effects. The more value it has, the more value it has, the more people that will be attracted to it. The more value it has, the more utility it has. And it, it, that is the fascinating, th I'll shut up after this. That is the fascinating thing about Bitcoin is because once you look at it, once you understand it, all you see are network effects and positive feedback loops everywhere, everywhere with this thing. And that's why you've got something that went from literally zero to $600 billion in value in less than 15 years. Mm. You know, we just had the Argentinian Argentinians just elected a new president who's pro-Bitcoin. It's the 25th biggest economy in the world, right? Like, and there's other nation states that have it. I'm like, pay attention, people. BlackRock's about to launch an ETF. Like, this is, you, you know, the, the phrase that I like to think of, Alec, is first you ignore it, then you laugh at it, then you fight it, and then you win. Just to channel Gandhi for a second. And we're kind of at, we're just sort of at the, we're coming out of the then you fight it phase. And I think Wall Street has realized like, oh, it's not going away. You can't kill it. You can actually make that statement because uh, you, you can't kill it once you understand how it works. It's sort of like, huh, I, I guess 
I guess you if you can't beat them, you join them, and that's what Wall Street's about. Yeah. So we've just invented digital scarcity, and you'll never get the chance again. So if you're not holding at least one percent of your capital in Bitcoin, you may regret that as an older person. Also, I've got to be really clear here, and then I'll shut up. Is Bitcoin not crypto? Oh, Channel Michael Saylor here. There's no second best, right? There is there is digital scarcity. And there's Bitcoin, and then there's a whole bunch of shills that are trying to scam and an affinity scam, essentially, that that will all go to zero in, in, in given enough time. Um, well, get some Bitcoin. As someone who dollar cost average into Bitcoin and Ethereum, at least I'm half right. Tell you Ethereum. <laughs> <laughs> well, Andrew, it's been a great year. I guess one final question: if we bring it back to stocks to finish. Any thoughts or advice to leave me and the Equity Mates listeners with uh, over the holidays or any stocks that uh, are worth keeping an eye on uh, over the next few months as everyone you know, hits the beach and starts thinking about getting their finances in order for 2024? Yeah, oh, it's always fun to throw out a tip. I'll, I'll start by saying this is that this is a lifelong journey, right? Like you, I've been doing this for, gosh, 20-something years now. And everyone is interested when the bulls are running and no one's interested when the bears are running. And you, people who start in a bull market don't tend to last the next cycle because they start going, oh, this is the easiest way in the world to make money. Look how I'm a genius. And then you lose most of it. And then you think the stock market is rigged. Uh, I'm out. And you, you never go back at it. Or people who start in the bear market, oh, this is much harder and scarier than I thought. This isn't, this isn't for me. So you don't get the good times without the bad times. The people who succeed in this are those that just stick to it. You know, they learn from their mistakes and they go on and on. And it's kind of something that you can't guarantee anything in finance, but as close as I can get to using that word, I will guarantee, quote unquote, that if you stick to it and you're sensible and you learn from your mistakes and accept that you will make lots of mistakes, over time you'll do incredibly well. If, if you're wanting to buy a Lambo next week, no, this is, you're going to learn a very harsh lesson very quickly. So I, I would say that, and people will be listening to this now. It's their first sort of touch point on this kind of stuff. 2024 could be the worst global market we have ever seen, or it could be the best. And either one is going to be really screw with your brain. So just <laughs> go into next year, knowing that it's going to be going to be very tough. Have you seen Stealth Global, mate? Mate, we talked about that lately. That's doubled since we talked about. Really, I haven't yeah, been yeah. following it, but damn it, I should have. Well, pay attention, yeah. Ali. Pay attention. <laughs> if that's not a ringing endorsement for Strawman, then I don't know what is. Uh, for people unfamiliar, <laughs> Strawman is Andrew's uh, private investment community, which I'm sure Straw uh, Stealth has got a lot of conversation on. I wasn't aware of it. We did a stock pitch night and. One of our members pitched it to me and was like, oh, that sounds really interesting. And I just, I, just I, I, I discovered it from there. Jeez, mate, what else could we talk? I, I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll give you a pitch here for a um, very different company. It's called Laserbond. We spoke um, with one of the, actually the founding family's son, um, who's a fairly senior gentleman now himself, Wayne Hooper. Business started in 1994, does surface engineering. They basically coat um, shovels, <laughs> big shovels okay. that go on the back of trucks. So they make it much stronger, so it works better and it lasts a lot longer. And it's a business that has been listed since 2000, I want to say 2007. It is profitable. It pays a dividend. They have been growing incredibly well. They have a very big opportunity. They are very defensible business. And they've got a FY25 target. They're currently doing a 12% ad for an engineering company uh, uh, with, with reasonably big capital requirements, um, they think the margin will grow as well. So they're doing, put that in context, they did 38 million in FY23. Um, and we had a big long chat with the CFO and the CEO yesterday, exactly how they're going to do that. And uh, look, I own shares, I'm biased. It's a small cap, it'll be volatile. Don't at me if it's down 10% or 20% next week. It's, you know, all care, no responsibility. But it's something that I own and I, it's something that I expect in three, four, five years will be worth a lot more than it is today. Well, I mean, like that's a, you know, the, the information that you just gave us there is enough to start doing that back of the envelope calculation. Let's do it this way. 60 million, we'll say they get their target. They said the margin would be, I said before, test a variety of scenarios. So this is just one yeah, that's yeah, off yeah. the top of my head. So let's, let's go with a 13% net margin. So that's $7.8 million um, in net profit in, in FY25. 
Let's say that the market trades, as you say, let me just go with this, a, a PE of 20 at, at that point in time. That gives me a market cap of 156. Now, the current market cap is 95 million. So what's that? That's a 64% gain over 18 months. Not bad. It might be that the profit is much lower than that and the PE yeah, is 12, yeah, yeah. in which case the math changes very yeah. rapidly. Uh, this is, but that's a nice example. This is not a stock tip, but it's an illustration of uh, how we can do the work. Exactly, yeah. right? And, it, and you, often you have these conversations and someone goes, well, I don't think they're going to get there. It's like, great. Use what's right for you. You'll, you'll get a mm. number. And then, and now, you, now you've now that when you look at the market and you have to ask yourself, is this good value or not? You'll have an yeah. answer because you did the work. Love it. Well, I think that's a good point to leave it. So do the work. We'll keep working away, keep becoming better investors. But Andrew, thanks for your time today and throughout the year. Matt, thanks for having me. Honestly, the the best way to learn is to teach. Uh, there's a there's a better articulation of that saying somewhere, which <laughs> escapes me. And I really find it helpful when I'm it's very easy to diverge off the path. So all I'm saying is it's been my absolute pleasure and I found it very valuable. As nice well. one. We'll, we'll have you back for the summer series to talk drop suite, but until then, have a good, have a good break. Yeah. Happy Christmas, everyone. And whatever, whatever celebration you enjoy and uh, take some time off and here's to a great 2024. Well, Ren, always love hearing from Andrew. We're lucky enough to have him back for the summer series that's coming up, um, giving us another one of his small caps. It wasn't Bitcoin, we can say that, yes, as much as yes. he wanted to talk about <laughs> it. So two reminders. Firstly, please head to the show notes and vote for the Equity Mates Awards for 2023. Entries close Wednesday, the 6th of December. So please get your votes in for the guest of the year, platform of the year, theme of the year, company of the year. You don't have to do all of them, but we would really appreciate it. We've had some awesome guests. And then finally, we have our last Ask an Advisor uh, episode coming up next week. So if you would like to submit a question to our advisor, it can be anything related to money and finance, please shoot it through to ask at equitymates.com and we'll make sure that we get all of the questions rounded out before the end of the year. With that said, we'll leave it there and pick it up next week. Sounds good. You have been listening to an Equitymates Media production. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equitymates Media acknowledges the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. This podcast is intended for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general advice only and has not taken into account your personal financial circumstances, needs or objectives. Before acting on general advice, you should consider if it is relevant to your needs and read the relevant product disclosure statement. And if you're unsure, please speak to a financial professional. The hosts of this podcast and their guests may have positions in the companies mentioned. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Equitymates Media operates under an Australian Financial Services Licence 540697. 